want to speak to you on what I have missed out by being a Christian. I preached on the topic about 13 years ago. What I have missed out, what I've missed out on, on being a Christian. Take your Bibles, if you would, to 1 Timothy chapter 6. I'm going to read verse 6 through 11. 1 Timothy chapter 6. This, uh, this, uh, this is a classic passage of Scripture. Most people that read through the Bible will underline this the first time they go through this. The first time they go over this passage, they'll underline it, mark it, normally. That's what I mean by classic. But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into this world, and it is certain that you carry nothing out. I, I've been to enough funerals. I've buried about 200 people. I can tell you they don't take anything with them. And having food and raiment, that's food and clothing, let us be there with content. Oh, that's big. But they, will, but they that will be rich. There's three groups of people, the poor, the wannabes and the rich. That's three groups of people. The Bible talks to all three groups. There are people in this room that are rich. There are people in this room that want to be rich. And then there are people in this room that have given up the fact they're just going to be poor. You know the group that's most harshly talked about? The wannabes. Right here it is. But they that will be rich, the wannabes, fall into temptation and a snare and into many foolish and hurtful lusts which drown men in destruction and perdition. For the love of money, and this is often misquoted, for the love of money is the root of all evil. They'll say money is the root of all evil. That's a misquote of the Bible. Many godly people in the past biblically have been rich and used it wisely. But that's, that was not their God. But the love of it oh, now becomes your God. The love of money is the root of all evil, while some coveted after. That's that lusty part. They have erred from the faith and pierced themselves through with how many? Many sorrows. But what's he tell us? Thou, man of God, which is people of God, flee these things and follow after righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, and meekness. And he has more to say there, but I'm just going to concentrate on those places. When I was considering giving my life to Jesus Christ at about 18 years old, this thought of the future came across my mind a lot. The thought of what will I miss out on in life if I become a Christian? If I, if I, if I give my life to Christ, I was already a Christian, but if I give my life to Christ and lay it basically down before him and say, I'll do what you want me to do, go where you want me to go, be what you want me to be, you lead me, I'll do it. That's called dedication, it's called surrender, 
It's called sanctification. I'll do what you want me to do. And God wants to be number one. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these other things I'll add unto you as you need them. But you better seek God first. He doesn't like being second. He don't put up with it. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. He'll not have your family be before him. He'll not have your job be before him. He'll not have your wife be before him or your husband be before him or your kids be before him or your country be before him. He must be what he is in reality. Number one, the creator of all that is, the designer, the architect, the maker, the the inventor of everything you see and those things you don't see. That's who he is. Big. So, maybe you've had the same kind of thought I've had. What will I miss out in life? I inherently, even at 18, I inherently knew that being a Christian involved doing God's will, not my will. Are you okay, hon? One of the ushers, go with her and make sure she's all right. Inherently, I knew that If I gave my life to Christ, it meant basically following his instructions. I had read enough and heard enough sermons to realize a life for God was a life of sacrifice. I heard the missionary stories. I had heard some of them at least. And I had had missionaries come in and talk about how they had given up this or suffered this. And and preachers talk about they gave up this or had to leave this. And I, I picked up on all that. I thought, well, that's sacrifice. I read where Moses uh, gave up the pleasure of sin for a season. He gave up all the wonders of Egypt had to offer him, and that was a lot. He gave all that up for God and went out in the wilderness as a sheep herder. I was uh, smart enough to know that a Christian life was a life that avoided sin. And sin is pleasurable. Don't let anybody tell you otherwise. On the short term is pleasurable. The problem with sin on the long term, that's the problem. On the long term is horror. But on the short term, it's a thriller. And so I knew there was a life ahead of me of avoiding sin, a life avoiding the evil things of this world, a life avoiding the pleasures of sin for a season. Now, I'd already been smoking for a couple years by that time, and it was a very pleasurable habit. I would have never quit it had God not told me to quit it. I would not have quit it. It Why would I? It was wonderful. People that smoke cigarettes don't do it because they hate it. They do it because they like it. People that are alcoholics don't drink because they hate it. They drink because they like it. They like to hide the pain. People that do cocaine don't do it because it's horrible. They do it because they like it. People that do all that stuff, people that are immoral and wicked and vile uh, sexually are not doing that because it's no fun. It's fun. I'd be lying to you if it, it didn't have a certain amount of excitement, a certain amount of thrill to it. But the problem is the end of it are the ways of death. And death is not pretty. Death is horror. And so 
I remember that night in 2003, Cassava Street, Elkhart, Indiana, in my bedroom up there in two-story farmhouse, about 100 years old. I remember being up in my bedroom there thinking, God, I'm going to give you my life. I'm going to trust you. You don't even have to trust somebody. People say, why you? we've got to trust somebody. You're going to trust your own opinion, or you're going to trust your mom and dad's opinion, or you're going to trust the teacher's opinion at school, or you're going to trust the philosophy, the going philosophy of your day, or you're going to trust God. Who are you going to trust? It's going to be somebody. You're going to believe somebody. People say, I don't believe. Yeah, you do. You believe your own opinion over everything else sometimes. Because a man's right in his own eyes, we believe, we tend to believe we're right, and it's really hard to get out of that syndrome, by the way. It's very hard. God has to help you out of that syndrome. That's a, that's a catch-22 circular loop. I'm right in my own eyes. So it's tough to get out of that. And so there was still a part of me, when I gave my life to Christ that, that evening, that night, I began to weep. Now, I gave my life to Christ, I began to weep. Why was I weeping? Well, part of me was weeping because I felt like I was giving so much up. I was giving so much up. And I hate to say this, but there was actually some sorrow in my heart about the things, thrills, and excitements that I was going to miss, and it would not be mine, that before that, I had an idea it would be mine. Now some. Now I'm standing before you 52 years later, okay? I was 18 years old, if I got my math right, 52 years later. I'm standing 52 years later here telling you. I would like to tell you at least some of the things I had to give up and I have given up. I hope you don't feel too bad for me. I had to give up divorce. I had to give up divorce. By living for Jesus, I've been able to stay with the same woman for 51 and a half years. I've had marital bliss of probably 45 of those years. I'd lie to you if it told you it was all peaches and cream. I'd also lie to you that I stayed married because I was inherently wonderful. I'll be lying to you. I'm hard to live with. I got a born-again woman that's equally hard to live with. But we got a Savior who can melt that together and make it fun and make it enjoyable. The other day she said, I like to work with you. And the other day I told her, I like to work with you too. You know, we're ending our married life, I mean, eventually, here pretty soon, actually liking to be around each other. Now, I'm in love. Love is a commitment. It's not emotion. But like is an emotion. And I actually like being around her. I like, like doing stuff with her. Oh, that's God. I'm telling you, why would I lie to you? I had to give up divorce by living for Jesus. Some of you have been through divorce, the horror of divorce, the horror of a split family. I had to give up STDs. STD, we're in, we're in a generation of abbreviations. 
L-G-C-B-Q-A-S-D-Y plus something. I mean, we're, I wish they wouldn't abbreviate. I don't know what all that means. STDs. I thought it was STP. STD, sexually transmitted diseases. I had to give up gonorrhea and syphilis. Because that's what I would have gotten had I lived the way I wanted to live. I had to give up AIDS, which was also probably on the agenda heterosexually, though. I had to give up lung cancer because God moved me to stop smoking. And everybody seems to agree that if you smoke for 50-some-odd years, you probably are going to die of lung cancer, But even before that. I had to give up emphysema. I don't know. They call that something else now. They abbreviate that, too. I, 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 I gave up emphysema. C-P-D-O, C-P-some. I... <laughs> I had to give up a destroyed liver from alcohol. I know somebody right now in their 40s looking for a new liver because they drank so much. Come on. I had to give up going through the horror of alcoholism, and there is a lot of horror in alcoholism. I have a family. My family is part Indian, and they don't do well with alcohol. And neither really does anybody else. I had to give up bitterness. Because as an unsaved person, you get people on your black li- the list, you know, the black list. The, put them on the list. Well, I, you cross me, I put you on the list. I don't have a list now as a born-again believer. I don't even have to keep track of that. I've forgiven everybody in every direction. I don't have a black list. I had to give up regret. Well, that was a big one. Think about it. This is real. I'm, I mean, we may laugh, but this is real deal. I gave up. Regret. I gave up alienation from who knows what and everybody. It's about everybody. I've known people won't speak to their this, won't speak to their that, won't. They got you know. We're, you have a funeral and one part of the family sit over here and one part of the family sit over there. They come in different doors. They don't even want to see each other, talk to each other. Jesus will help you there. I had to give up dissatisfaction, even though Mick Jagger said. I can't get no satisfaction. That's because without Christ, you can't. You cannot get satisfaction. If you don't see anything in this world by observation, watch people as they come to the end of their life without Christ. And then watch people with Christ come to the end of their life and see how it works. Beautiful. I've seen a lot of people come to their end. It's beautiful to trust in Christ. Oh, it's not... It's no, it's, it's no easy walk, but you have somebody to walk with you. I, I, I know who holds the future. I had to give up drug flashbacks and the horror of all that. I had to give up defiled conscience because I was on, already on the road to defiling my conscience through lying, you know, cheating, betrayal. You begin to defile your conscience as you go on and continue to do uh, transgression and transgression after transgression, and there's no forgiveness without Christ. You can't get rid of it without Christ because the blood of Christ, God's Son, cleanses us from all sin, right? 
Now I have a clear conscience because it's under the blood of Christ, and I've asked everybody to forgive me that I've tried to that I've offended. I have offended a few people that I offended wrongly. I've asked them to forgive me. Tried to make it right if I did, and I've sought it out. I have a clear conscience this morning, not by something I did, but something Christ did for me. But it's a it's the uh, part of being a Christian. It's beautiful. These are just some of the major things that I have given up the last 52 years because of Jesus. So let's go back and look at our text here real quickly. It says in verse 6 there, but godliness with contentment is great gain, doesn't it? The secret is getting contented in Christ. The exhortation there by the Holy Spirit through Paul was, you get contentment in Christ and really Him alone once you realize who He is and understand about Him and you grow in Him some. And that's not a little gain. That's like winning the lotto when it's $350, $60 million strong. If anybody won the lotto when they, it was like $350 million at one shot, they'd say that was great gain, Bill. That was great gain. Or if you bought a Tesla stock when it was $200 and you bought 100,000 shares, oh, you'd say, brother, I have great gain now in Tesla stock. This is bigger than all that. Godliness, it's living for God, God-likeness, living for Jesus, molding your life, your thoughts, your, your energy towards Jesus. Of course, you got to be in the Bible for that, don't you? First, you've got to get saved and have your sins forgiven in Christ, and then you grow in Him. You begin to read the Bible and say, this is what God has for me. Let me tell you, everything God has for you is good for you. Reminds me of the sermon I preached two weeks ago, eat your peas. God has stuff for you. You know, maybe not taste real good, but it's good for you in the end. Years ago, and as a kid, at 18 years old, I was anything but contented. I was not contented. I was, the more I sinned, the more distraught I became. And then that, that caused me to go and sin more. Because I thought, well, if I do this some more, that's going to cover it. So as, you, as your conscience begins to get defiled, you begin to go more to the alcohol and more for the, ple- you go to the pleasure sins. The sins that give you pleasure for a few moments and kind of cover that pain. And for a few moments, that pain's out of your mind. But then you have to sober up, and it has to wear off. And then it's, the desire is stronger even than before. And you, and you do it more and wider, and, and, and more viciously that cycle becomes. Well, I can tell you this morning, 52 years later, Jesus is all the world to me. It's all the world. My strength from day to day without him I'd fall, the song says. So after getting contented, godliness with contentment is great gain. You say, how do I get contented? Live for Jesus, read the Bible, come to church, pray what we do, sing the songs of Zion. We're not doing this. We're not doing what we do because it's tradition. We're doing what we do because it's the right thing to do. Well, I hope you get that. And after getting contented and having God give you some contentment, the passage goes on and says, then you get rich. So what good are riches if they don't last? I want you to contemplate this thought a minute. 
The very definition of true riches, true Bible riches, are their eternal and unending. The pharaohs of old sought to make their riches last, and they failed. The Peruvian Indians tried to make their riches last by building all those pyramids down there, over a thousand of them, I believe. <coughs> Excuse me. Out of stone, but they did. They left their structures. Through the ages, men have spent whole fortunes on trying to try to keep what they had. But what happened? Well, let's read the Bible. Psalms 37, 35, and 36 says, I've seen the wicked in great power spreading himself like a gray bay tree or banyan tree, yet he passed away. And lo, he was not. Yea, I sought him, but he could not be found. Gain without permanence is not gain. It's just loaned. The devil has something to give you, but he can only loan it to you. That's big. He can only let you play with it. Use it a little while. Stay in it. Drive it. But then you got to give it back as God calls you to death. Only God gives real gain. I like in verse 7 and 8 there, 1 Timothy chapter 6, he says, what, what common sense is this? For we brought nothing into this world, and it is certain that we carry nothing out, naked in, naked out. And having food and remnant, let us therewith be content. Now, you can say that all you want, but God's got to do it. You only get that with him. And really, when you get to the point where you've trusted God and you've given him everything and you surrendered to his will, he begins to give you the greatest gain of all, contentment. When you get contentment, anything else he may give you materially is just a bonus. This is all bonus points. You're like, woo, I'm thankful for what he's given me. Praise God. And if he doesn't give it to you, I'm thankful. I've seen people uh, live their lives out in an 8-foot by 30-foot little ragtag mobile home with an old junky car, and they had more joy, more peace, more contentment than people living across the street or people living on the beach or people living in the, in the fanciest areas, maybe Miramar. Uh, they had more contentment than any of those folks I've ever seen. How did that happen? Well, the lesson it taught me was God is your riches. That's what he told Abraham. Abraham. He said, I'm your reward. He told Abraham, I'm your reward. Glory, that's good. I'm, I don't know about you, but I'm having a good time. Look at verse 9. But they that will be rich, that's the wannabes, they fall into temptation and snare. And a, the word snare means stratagem, strategy of the devil. Really is what that is. And into many foolish, that word moronic, moronic, foolish and hurtful lusts, which drown men in destruction. That word is, can be translated punishment also. And perdition is ruin or loss. 
So what did I miss out when I gave my life to Jesus Christ? Nothing. Shame on me for crying. I was just stupid, ignorant of what God had for me. I was just, thank God he puts up with ignorance. You know, when you're a three-year-old, when when a Barrow's, Brother Barrow's a four-year-old, maybe five-year-old, I'm not sure how old that boy is, wheelbarrow. When he comes and makes a mistake, we don't whack on him. He's a five-year-old kid. I mean, you know, when he says something stupid, we don't go, oh, make a big deal. We know he's a five-year-old kid. Five-year-old kid, what do they know? That was me at 18 before God. I was saying stupid stuff. I didn't know, you know, a whole lot about life, and I was thinking I thought I did. That was barrels, barrels, the wheelbarrow. He thinks he knows stuff. It's just normal for the young people in this room. I want you to listen. Listen to the horror stories of loss and ruin from those who miss God's opportunity. Listen to the hollowness of their speeches. Listen to the quiet desperation in their voices as they face the end of life. Where is this morning Frank Sinatra with all his fame and wealth? Where is Howard Hughes, and I know I got an old crowd in here, that's why I'm doing it. Where's Howard Hughes with his intelligence and and brilliance and, and financial wizardry? Where is he today with all that? Where is, you rockers, Jimi Hendrix today with his ability to play the guitar? Where is Elvis Presley? I've been to his house, he was not there. Where is Jim Morrison? Oh, you old rockers, I'm, rock, I'm, I'm popping you this morning. That's the singer of the Doors, you young people. I just want to mention that to you. Oh, he had a career. He had a life in front of him, did he? Or No, he didn't. He died at 27 years old. Jimi Hendrix died 27 years old. I think Elvis was 42 years old. I'm not sure how long, how old John Lennon was. Where is Michael Jackson and all his wealth, fame? Where is Robin Williams, who made so many people laugh? Where's Steve Jobs, who gave half the people in this room their telephone, which they leave on during services? Where is Epstein with all his sexual fantasies? Where is JFK? Jesus Christ is the only way to live. Not just now, but in the future. He is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Said by Jim Elliott, or written in his Bible at least. That's what the choice was. I gave up what I could not keep, which I thought was valuable, which I didn't understand because I was like wheelbarrow before God, worse than that even. And I said, Lord, okay, I'll give you my life. 
But man, I'm really going to miss out on stuff. Yeah, you are. The stuff I told you and so much more. I sacrificed the horrors of a wasted life. I like the song, wasted years, wasted years, oh, how foolish. I, don't, I, don't, I can't sing that song and mean it. I, I sacrificed the agonies of those wasted years. I sacrificed, and, and now at 70, I stand really before you with no regrets, or very few or little regrets, small regrets. You always would have loved to have studied more, read more, prayed more. I get that. But really full of sweet expectation, as Brother Tom, as you witnessed with Brother Tom, the sweet expectation of a future in Christ. I was there when that song we sang, Rejoice in the Lord, was debuted at Bob Jones University in chapel by the brother who wrote it, who had lost an eye to cancer. And all what you read in the back there, what you saw, that really is what he had to go through. That was his reasoning process when he lost his eye and possibly could have lost his life because the cancer could have spread otherwise. It didn't. It didn't. I gave up a lot for Jesus. Not really. When you give your heart to Christ, don't you let the devil sit on your shoulder telling you, don't do it, man. Don't do it. If you're a Christian, it's going to be a boring life. It's going to be a dissatisfying life. It's going to be a life that you'll be sorry when you're old. You'll be sorry you live for Christ. He's going to sit on your shoulder and tell you all that stuff. But he is a liar and the father of lies. I'm here telling you this morning with so many other witnesses through the centuries and through the years Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And no man cometh unto the Father but by him. I'm here to tell you, he said, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me and my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a mansion for you. Hey, man, glory to God. I have a wonderful place I live, and I've been satisfied, by the way, pretty much wherever I've lived. I've been willing to stay the rest of my life wherever I've lived. When God moved me, he moved me. And I'm at where he wants me to be now. And, and, I'm, and I enjoy it. And I'm, I'm thrilled with it. But I realize as I go by, and I, I, the other day I was giving a guy a little tour of my five acres, and I said, I planted that tree right there. And that tree now is about that big around, oak tree. I said, I planted that tree. I realize that someday I'm leaving, and somebody will probably cut that tree down. I'll say, oh, this is in the way. <sighs> But it's okay. It's okay because I go to something better. How about you? Are you ready to go? You ready to go? I had a mortician come to me. I hate to tell you this, but I'm pretty good friends with morticians. One thing that always bothered me about a mortician is every time you shake his hand, you know. Wait a minute. I don't think he's sizing me up. He's going to have about a, yeah, okay, you'll have about a mid-sized casket. 
He said, Bill, why are so many 30-year-olds dying? That's what he asked me. Why are so many, that got your attention, didn't it? Why are so many 30-year-olds dying? Opium. I can't remember what the name of the other drug is. Fentanyl. Cocaine. Alcohol. I went. To, I buried somebody over in LaBelle. And uh, I, I, I know you're going to think I'm more, but I like to go through grave, graveyards and read the deals, you know. And 13-year-old dead, 15-year-old dead, 14-year-old dead, 12-year-old dead. I never saw so many kids in their teenage years buried in a, in a graveyard than I did over in LaBelle. Why is that? Lifestyle. They get on them four-wheelers and want to be the, woo, 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 boom, hit a tree, break their neck, and they're dead. And I thought, the young may die, the old must die. But one way or another, you're going to meet God someday or you're ready. I hope you know Christ as your Savior. Let's stand together. If you don't know Christ, you can know him. Whom to know is life everlasting. Don't let anybody push you out of the way on the way to Christ. Don't you let anybody push you out of the way. You come to him. We'll help you. If you'd like to know, we'll let you know. Not force anything on you. Don't you buy the lie of the devil. Don't you do it. Father, help us today. Give us wisdom from above. In Jesus' name, amen. You come. If you would like to know more about the Lord Jesus Christ, you may contact us at the church website, gospelbaptistchurch.com, or you can go to Facebook and type in Gospel Baptist Church Bonita Springs, Florida. Also, you could call the church office at 239-947-1285. Thank you, and God bless.